Welcome to the Trauma Healing for Postpartum Moms podcast. I'm your host, Danik Bernier, mom of two, social worker, and psychotherapist in Ontario, Canada. This podcast is for the busy postpartum mom who didn't get the birth experience she was promised and feels intense pressure to be the best mother, but the stress of the postpartum period is too much. I want you to know that you're not alone and you're in the right place if you want to learn why you don't trust your in-laws to babysit your baby, why your brain keeps showing you scary stuff from your past, and why you're so afraid of getting pregnant again. Becoming the mother you want to be truly is possible. While this episode does not replace psychotherapy and is not meant to give medical advice, I hope you learned something new about yourself and the art of trauma healing while caring for a baby. Let's head into today's episode. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Trauma Healing for Postpartum Moms podcast. I'm your host, Denik Bernier, and today we will be talking about the pressure we put on ourselves as moms. Specifically, when we have the sense that we have to become the mom we needed as a child but didn't get. I'll be talking about why this happens and what it means. I'll also be talking about what happens when we truly are able to let go of the pressure and perfectionism. All of this, in my opinion, and according to my observations, This is often linked to childhood trauma. If the term childhood trauma sounds intense and weird or even scary to you, I invite you to check out episode 2 of this podcast, where I give a brief explanation of what trauma truly is and what it isn't. It may help you see what I mean by childhood trauma here. So, Why do we even put this huge amount of pressure on ourselves to be the mom we didn't get, or at least to give our child the type of childhood we wish we had? Before diving into any type of trauma stuff, I want to acknowledge that many, many, many moms probably, you know, this might be like a general thing. Um, The pressure and the perfectionism of motherhood is something that we see often, whether it's linked to trauma or not. You know, the reason why, and I just want to validate that for everyone out there, there's just lots of expectations put on mom. We have to be everything for these babies of ours. We have to provide the emotional attachment. We need to provide, you know physically speaking, the necessities of life. We have to be this person who does it all, who thinks about everything, who has this emotional load. You get the point. And also we have to do it while smiling and looking physically perfect and having a super clean house. And, you know, we have to do this while, like I said, like maintaining this image which is totally unrealistic and it sets moms up for failure like automatically. So I just want to recognize that as moms, we have this perception of failure often and this is not true failure often. It is, you know, the perception and it is fueled by the society that we live in. 
Why do we even put this huge amount of pressure on ourselves to be the mom we didn't get? Um, and also in regards to childhood, if your mom was, you know, someone that you do look up to when it comes to your childhood, were there things in there that you wouldn't want to recreate? It starts with the fact that your brain constantly connects your present with your past and even your future. So I'll give you some examples. Um, like, for example, daycare starting, right? So in Canada, usually moms will take like between 12 months and 18 months of maternity and parental leave. And then the clock ticks and it's time to go back to work if you do decide to go back to work. Naturally, you will want to look for daycare. As you're looking for daycare, as you're doing your research, as you're, you know, posting on the local mom's Facebook group, hey, does anyone have a spot? And everyone replies that no, they're all full. I get it. I'm so sorry for those of you who are in this position right now. As you're doing all of these steps, you know that this is what is required of you, right? You're doing everything as required. You're following the proper steps here. You start to notice in your body probably first that eh, the idea of my baby starting daycare is like mm, not something I want to think about. Granted, for many moms out there, the idea of going back to work and um, having daycare for their baby is something really hard. Um, just the fact that they will be separated from their baby, right? But here, it's not just the separation aspect. There's this aspect of, oh, daycare is somehow a threat. Somehow, your brain, your body, your nervous system, when it thinks about and visualizes your baby in someone else's care, either in a house or in a center, your brain, your body, your nervous system is probably freaking out. It's like, oh, whoa, red alert, red alert. Something's about to happen. It can't just be simple and be a positive experience. There must be something that will happen. If this is your case, I'm inviting you to just get curious about that. Get curious about, okay, why is my body responding in a way that there's tightness in my chest and my throat is almost closing and, you know, I'm having these like tensions in my body and I have a headache and my brain might be going towards themes of safety and possibly attachment. I'm inviting you to get curious about that because this is probably a red flag that is linked towards childhood trauma in some shape or form. So when we think about daycare, like for example, a mom who has in her past um, as a child, as a teen, or in another uh, phase and stage of her life, endured some type of abuse, whether it be physical, sexual in nature, or otherwise from someone who was supposed to be a caregiver. This is something that is stored in the body. Your brain might have intellectualized what happened to you and 
on a logical level, you know that you're safe now, your baby's safe, and you're not just going to let your baby go with anyone. But your body's like, yeah, no. When we think about daycare, we think about this stuff that happened to us happening to our baby. And you know what? Being a mom and wanting to respect this mission that we set out for ourselves, that we are going to provide the best and the opposite of our experience as a child to our baby. Um, yeah, that's like a big no-no. Daycare is a big no-no. So this pressure becomes a trauma response. The perfectionism behind, I will find the absolute best slash most expensive slash the most highly rated um, daycare of all. And I'm going to put my baby's name on that daycare, even if like for that mom, that baby might not even be born yet. This might just be a trauma response in the sense that your body, your brain is like, okay, daycare is a lot. It's a threat. It's a potential threat. So let's just cover ourselves here. Let's cover ourselves. But the thing is, is that, and I'm going to touch a, a bit about this later on, but it's, it's super draining. It's really, really draining. So another example that I have about the pressure that we put on ourselves as mom is when we grow up in a house where a parent, either our mom or our dad or whatever, and a, a tutor had some narcissistic traits. You know, I'm by no means an expert in narcissism, but I know enough to recognize some signs and to know that there are some things that are put in place by people with narcissistic traits where, you know, deep trauma is, is caused at the end of the day. And many moms who have little babies and who don't necessarily have this role model for them, um, it's really hard to go through life through early motherhood without this positive role model, without someone to look up to. Because you so desperately want to be the opposite of your mom who, you know, for you, like, whether it be you or, or one of your siblings, they use as a scapegoat in the family. They just blamed everything on them. Anything and everything that went wrong in the family and in life in general, it was because of this child, whether it be you or your siblings. Their image, the self-absorption. It was a lot. It was all consuming. And you might not have been in a position where you could think for yourself because there was probably a lot of brainwashing there and a lot of toxicity. So, of course, in your core, you're like, no, this is the example of what not to do. And it's so bad that, of course, I will be the total opposite. And at first, it might sound almost easy. Like, okay, it's easy for me to not be like this person because this person, what they did was so intense and so intensely negative that it's easy to not go there. But I'm telling you, in your everyday life, it's easier said than done to think that it will be easy to be the opposite 
you know, even if throughout our life we have the evidence that we are not who hurt us, we are our own person, you know, you have evidence that you have, that you were able to have good and positive relationships with people afterwards, there are still deep-rooted attachment wounds. The caregiver was not able to give you the necessities when it comes to attachment. So of course there will be wounds. And of course, deep down inside, you're like, yeah, I have to be the total opposite. I have to make sure, I have to do everything in my power to make sure that my baby will be safely attached to me, that the attachment will be a positive one, will be a strong one where I will be this safe parent for my baby. Anything that happens in the future, I will be there to support and love my baby no matter what. I didn't get that, but I want to give that. And that is beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. And I will say, in everyday life, the difficulties will show up. The difficulties will show up when, for example, let's say you have more than one child You go into, oh, oh my goodness, did I give a gift to one child and I didn't give one to another? Oh my goodness, am I unconsciously becoming my narcissistic parent? These are the types of thoughts that can kind of come in and you might ruminate on them because they're so emotionally charged. Um, This is where life can get difficult. This is where in your postpartum period, let's say, you're like, okay, this baby is this whole person. This baby does not exist to fill my needs. But then let's say you go for a walk and someone compliments your baby and says, oh my goodness, your baby is so cute. And because you're super proud, you're like, yeah, he's so cute. Thank you. And then you walk away And then still with the smile on your face, you're like, oh, was I happy because I'm glad that my baby's cute because that means that this is a compliment for me? Or was I happy just because like I love my baby so much and I think all babies are cute and of course I'm going to think mine is especially cute. This is where the mind games can kind of come in. If mind games is something that you've gone through. This is something that you will, you will most likely recreate subconsciously for yourself. Another example I have to give you is, um, you know, the, the traumatic stuff that we don't necessarily recognize at first that can be traumatic. Like, for example, all of a sudden, let's say um, someone gives you um, hand-me-downs, like a big box of diapers of hand-me-downs. And your automatic reaction is, oh, what the fuck? (laughs) I don't want this. I don't want this. I'm not comfortable with this. What the heck is this? And so at first you might be like, oh my goodness, I'm putting this unbelievable pressure on myself to buy everything new, but everything is so expensive. I need to let other people help me. Buying baby stuff is a lot, but deep down, you might be also connecting with your past. If, for example, hand-me-downs are all that you ever known, 
Uh, it was extremely rare for you to have something that was new or at least pieces of clothing that you're really feeling confident in and you felt beautiful and good in. That might be something that will come back. If for you, money, there was, you know, scarcity around money, um, money was tight, or for some reason, you know, when it came to material things, you were not given the material things that you needed. So just to be clear, I'm not saying this in the sense that you should be materialistic or that we should consume a lot. Um, what I'm saying is, you know, when we get this message repeatedly that there's not a lot of money and money's tight and we have to um, make some cuts in the budget and we have to, um, you know, either cut on the, uh, on the clothes we buy, cut on the food we buy, cut on the electricity or like skip a bill, skip a payment or whatnot. As a child, you don't have the full capacity to understand what that means. This is overwhelming. It might not overwhelm you in the moment that you're living it, like consciously, but subconsciously, chances are that your body is feeling this anxiety, is feeling this tension in the air, in the atmosphere that we are in a tight spot. And as a child, you have absolutely no control over that. Absolutely none. So of course, your nervous system might be flooded. And so of course, today as a new postpartum mom, when someone comes up with a box filled with hand-me-downs and they're looking at you like, hey, this is the greatest gift that I'm giving you because clothes is so expensive nowadays your automatic reaction is, shit, what do I do with that? I'm inviting you to get curious about that. So as I was saying, you do this when there's a perceived threat or that there might be a threat in the future, um, a threat to your baby's attachment and safety and your body and your brain are like, hell no, mama bear mode activated. This baby is about to become bubble boy. <laughs> Do you remember that movie, Bubble Boy? Yeah, that was cute. Anyways, the threat here is often linked to body safety and attachment wounds, as I was saying. And your brain is just focused on that, especially in the postpartum period where everything is just amplified because your brain's like, yeah, you are going to focus on that baby. This is your main goal in life now. Well, at least for, you know the starting months of your baby's life. Your brain plays these same scary thoughts, the same themes keep popping up over and over again. So the themes are probably, you know, I should have done better. I should have done something. I am responsible for this. This is my fault. I must be perfect. Or I must not fail. I'm not allowed to fail. I'm not allowed to feel. Are these themes kind of present in your daily life? If so, there's a good chance that there are, you know, specific situations or at least body sensations that you can connect them with. So, you know, sometimes there aren't specific thoughts. It's a body sensation that holds a message, but within 
the themes of body safety and attachment often. So basically, you honored the need your body and your brain has to protect your baby and to provide the necessities of life. And that's good, but for you, it comes at a price and you can feel it. And like I was saying before, it's draining. It's completely draining. It requires a lot of energy to go through that. But guess what? It doesn't have to be this draining. You didn't sign up for motherhood only to feel like you are constantly sprinting towards healthy connection and safety. And whenever there are evidence, whenever you do see that you have a true connection and you have established safety, it's never enough. That's so, so draining. So here's what's required for you to heal from this based on what I just mentioned. In a nutshell, and based on this EMDR therapy treatment that I provide, we need to see how your logical brain knows that you're already a good mom and how your subconscious is thinking differently. I touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, Our brain kind of has these two different sides the logical and the subconscious. Subconscious, you know, we can call it the nervous system talking. Um, your logical side, as I was saying, it knows you're a good, you're a good mom. You have the evidence of that. You have eyes to see, like, you know, but this other side of you is like, yeah, no, that's a lie. This is a lie, or this is a show you're putting on, or this is not totally true, or it will be taken away from you. So we need to just explore what both are saying, and we need to find a way to connect them together. We need to target your significant experiences or sensations and look at the messages that are attached to those. As I was saying, those may be um, memories and images or memories that are stored in the body that come out as sensations. Then you would find ways to regulate your nervous system using your senses. So, you know, by either using some bilateral movement, some tapping, that's kind of the thing that we do in EMDR. It's not all of EMDR, but it is certainly part of it. And some visualization and using your senses, like, you know, your sense of smell. Is there a smell that you really like that is connected to a really positive memory that you can use to regulate your nervous system? That might be something that you could explore if it is safe for you to do so. And then the kind of final parts of EMDR really is to desensitize and to reprocess. So to give what you went through a new meaning or not necessarily a new meaning in the sense that we're going to brainwash you into thinking that what happened was okay. That is totally, totally not the case. It's more like, okay, if for example, there was this particular memory where you felt totally helpless The goal is for you to be desensitized in the sense that this memory does not cause distress linked to trauma. It can still be sad. You can still have empathy for yourself, but it will not be distressing on a nervous system kind of level. And you will find that, okay, when I think about that particular event in my life, I see that Yeah, I felt helpless then, but that's because I didn't have the capacity because I was in survival mode. I didn't have the capacity to see that actually 
I really did the best I could. So that's kind of the types of transformation that can happen. Not promising that this is what would happen for you specifically. But what I'm saying is that these type of epiphanies, that's what happens in these types of treatments. So in everyday life, this would mean that you may not be triggered anymore by the baby crying because you know on a gut level that you're a good mom and you can respond to your baby's needs appropriately. You can drop the baby off at daycare and tolerate and be okay with the idea. You might still not like buying secondhand stuff for your baby, but at least you're not losing your marbles if someone is giving you, you know, this box full of secondhand stuff and hand-me-downs. Your constant self-criticism has been put to rest or becomes this very, very teeny tiny voice that doesn't flood you with guilt anymore. So in this episode, we took a deep dive into the pressure we put on ourselves as a mom and why it can be connected with some sort of childhood trauma. I hope you can also see that this doesn't have to be a curse and this could potentially change for you with the right support. I would love to know what your thoughts are on this third episode. Did you start seeing how trauma is everywhere, potentially, and it can play a huge role in your postpartum journey? Reach out to me on Instagram at Denik Helps Moms and tell me what your aha moment was for this episode. And I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trauma Healing for Postpartum Moms podcast. I hope what was shared resonated with you and you're walking away feeling like you're not alone. There is another side to the pain, the fear, and the confusion you're experiencing right now in early motherhood. Feeling happy, safe, and confident in your role is possible. This episode does not replace psychotherapy and is not meant to give medical advice. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening and I'll see you soon.